Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Valley Church of the Nazarene. We are located at 228 Madison Avenue in Monte Vista, Colorado. I am Pastor Chris Yoakum, and I am so glad you have tuned in to listen to this message. I would also love to invite you to join us on Sunday morning for our small group discipleship classes starting at 9 a.m. for all ages, and our worship service starting at 10.15 a.m. We have many other activities and Bible studies throughout the week. Please visit our website at valleynaz.com and our Facebook page for more information. Our prayer is that you encounter the God of the Bible and come to know the joy of salvation through Jesus Christ, that you be equipped to engage the world for Christ. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. This is God's Word, inerrant, infallible, authoritative. May the Lord give us ears to hear this morning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power into the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed." Though you have not seen Him, you love Him, and even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, we're grateful for Your Word. We're grateful for Your faithful servant, Peter. We're grateful that he is a faithful witness, and we're grateful for this letter. And Lord, I pray that You would be with us now as we look into Your Word. Lord, give us minds that can understand, give us ears to hear, and hearts to receive. Attend both through the hearing and preaching of your word. Bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're looking at a living hope this morning. Hope is something that is so desperately needed in our world today. We know that, um, depending on your perspective, many people feel like we're in very dire and dark times and places we are. So evermore, we need to, to look at hope. There was a man that was, came up to a Little League baseball game, and he came up to a young man who was in the dugout and asked this little little boy what the score was. And the boy said, it's, it's 18 to nothing, we're, we're losing. And the man said, boy, you must be really discouraged. The little boy said, why should I be discouraged? We haven't even got up to bat yet. <laughs> you feel like that sometimes? You know, I hope that we as a church understand that, you know, I hope that we can have that kind, of, that kind of hope, right? It looks bad. It looks pretty dire. 
But you know, we haven't even begun yet, right? We haven't yet begun to fight. And I think as we look at this portion of Scripture, Peter's going to help us to understand why we have every reason to be encouraged, why we have every reason to be filled with hope. As I've been looking at this this passage, it's just such a, a wonderful, wonderful passage. And we know that Peter is speaking to Christians that are, that are facing difficult times where they are marginalized and they are hated and they are persecuted. And no doubt, discouraged. No doubt, struggling. And so Peter, this man who, has, who, who knows what it's like to struggle, who knows what it's like to be up and then down, who is probably at this time, you know, we, we believe he's probably writing this from, from Rome. We know that he was the, the bishop of the church in Rome, and what a challenging assignment that would have been. And he wants to encourage the church because it's easy to get tunnel vision and, and see just what is before you and get discouraged. And so he gives us this great word. In verse 3, he begins, we talked, well, first of all, we talked last week about the fact that we are God's chosen ones, that we are chosen, we are set apart as strangers in the world, and then we are sent, we are scattered, and for various circumstances, God send us out. But all of these things are part of God's plan. And Peter's going to go on to talk about this, but the first thing he does is says in verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a mouthful right there. Peter, first of all, wants us to see that that before he even begins to talk about these things, he wants us to understand who it is that this is going to be coming from, and, and he wants to direct our attention and our praise to God, which is a term of, of transcendence, which is important for the people to know, right? That he is the all-powerful one. We need to know that this is where our salvation stems, is from God, this idea of, of transcendence. Then he also says the Father, term of eminence or relationship, He's the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we, as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we need to understand not only Christ's deity, but the connection that Jesus has with the Father. This is important for a persecuted church. So the God and Father of our Lord, which is term of rulership, our Lord, Jesus Christ is our, our Lord. He's our master. Jesus is His name in Christ means that He is the anointed one, the Messiah. Folks, in all of these things, as Peter is going to show, this is, it is God who has initiated this work, and it is God who is going to finish this work. And our biggest role that we have to play is praise, right? That's why it's, it's a real problem if the church gets discouraged and begins to be down because we're supposed to be a people of praise. We have no reason to be discouraged because God has begun a work. He is going to complete it, and we need to give praise to God. We need to give praise to Jesus Christ. We need to let the world know. Even as the world perhaps comes against the church, we need to let the world know about our God who has come to intervene and for us and to save us. 
We need to be a people of praise. Praise needs to be on our lips constantly. We must not allow the intimidation of the enemy to silence us. It says, and then he goes on to say, in his great mercy. Peter wants us to understand that the attitude of God that allows this to happen is the fact that He is a God of great mercy. He is a God of great mercy. Now, we know that mercy is, is when you do not receive what you deserve. When you're guilty and you don't receive justice, God gives you mercy instead. And so, we have to understand that this is God's attitude towards us, His great mercy. Because He is a loving God and a merciful God, this is what sets the stage for this. Paul says it so well in Ephesians, so I just want to read that real quick. Ephesians chapter 2, what a great passage. And this is why, it, why mercy is so critical in all of this. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, as for you, that's all of us. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is not work and those who are disobedient, all of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Folks, that's what we deserved, right? We deserve death and we deserve we deserve God to leave us in the state of death, and we deserve to be an object of His wrath. That's what we deserved. Justice demanded that we do that, and yet in God's great mercy, He has intervened for us instead of leaving us to that fate. What a great thing that is. We have to recognize that. We have to recognize who we were and what, what we were and the path that we were on before God found us so that we can bring praise to God, so we can think about the fact that, wow, think about where we would be if God did not intervene. That should bring praise. That should bring glory to God. We have to recognize that as we suffer, as we go through difficult times, we, we should never say, God, why are you allowing this to happen? We don't deserve this. What we should say is we deserve far worse. We deserve far worse and you have intervened, and you are giving us something that is less than what we deserve right now on this, this earth, and for eternity, you are going to give us something very wonderful. And so that should bring great praise, recognizing that. What we, 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 we deserve is death and hell. Everything, beyond, everything that is not death and hell, folks, is a blessing from God. It's God's mercy to us. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth. The new birth is the beginning of our eternal life. The new birth is the entry point into the family of God. And so Peter talks about new birth. This is one of the reasons why we, you know, abortion is such a tragedy because it, it takes what could be hope, a new life with so much purpose and snuffs it out. But aren't you glad that God who could have taken us and he could have just said, forget about them, and just, he could have destroyed us and left us to our fate, and this, instead he goes and he brings new, new birth, new birth. 
He says, I'm going to give you a new chance. I'm going to give you something new. I'm going to take you out of what was. I'm going to bring you into something new. We all understand our human birth, right? We know that our mothers brought us into this world, and as, we are, as our mothers gave birth to us, we came into a, a world, we came into a family, and this new birth that we have, this spiritual birth, is our entry point into the eternal life. Jesus says in John chapter 3, remember in talking to, um, um, the name just totally just slipped right, right on us, Nicodemus, there it is. In talking to Nicodemus, remember he says, you must be born again. No one will enter the kingdom of God. No one will see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. So you must be born again. Being born again is, again, the entry point into the eternal life. The new birth is the entry point into the family of God. Folks, that should give us a great amount of praise to realize whose we are, to realize what we have been brought into, something wonderful, something great, no matter what the world brings against us. We have been born into an eternal life. We have been born into the family of God. We who were so far away have been brought near into God's family. That should give us great rejoicing. Why is that important? You know, sometimes, folks, and I know... This is what happens. Maybe everybody else may hate you, but hopefully you have a family that loves you. And as the church, as Peter's talking to a persecuted church, he says, listen, you've been brought into new birth into God's family, and we need to take, we need to take that seriously. That's why the church is so important. We come into this place to realize we're part of a family. Yes, out there, the world may be marginalizing and persecuting the church, but folks, we are in God's family, and we are part of a family. We hold one another up. And we need to hold one another up around the world, right? Christians are being persecuted. They are part of our family. We need to be praying for them, lifting them up as well. This new birth and then a living hope. What a wonderful statement this is, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, this is a living hope because Jesus is our hope and He's alive. Folks, if Jesus Christ had stayed in the grave, what hope would we have? But folks, we serve a living Savior. Jesus is our hope and He's alive. That's why it is a living hope. It's also a living hope because we will share in Christ's victory over death, right? Think about the Christians who are being persecuted, many of them knowing that if they stayed faithful, they were going to die, right? The world was going to kill them, and many of them did. They had to believe that in Jesus Christ, they were going to gain victory over death. Right? If you didn't believe that that was going to be the case, it'd be hard to give your life. But because you realize that death for the Christian is simply stepping over from this life into the next life, we realize it is a living hope because we share in Christ's victory over death. And it is a living hope because our, our hope is a living hope because it is a sure hope. Okay? It's a sure hope. One of the most amazing things is the one who guarantees this hope is Jesus Christ. We can be absolutely certain. It's not a hope so. It's a not, not a, a hope that God is going to, to give us victory or our hope that God is going to save us. It is absolutely certain. It is a living hope because hope becomes the dwelling place of those who believe and trust. And hope will not disappoint us. 
And then if that's not good enough, listen to what Peter says, and into an inheritance, an inheritance. You know, the great thing about an inheritance, you know, it's, it's like you're receiving the benefit and blessing of the work of somebody else, right? I mean, if you see, receive an inheritance, it's like your family has come up, they were successful, and they pass something on to you. And it, this is such a wonderful thing because the, the work that has been accomplished through Jesus Christ, all those that come before, this is our inheritance. And then he says, which can never perish, spoil, or fade. In other words, perish, it can never perish, it's eternally good, right? Eternally good. It's not going to go bad, Right? For all, of you, for all of you who uh, do food storage, right, that's one of the things. You may have all your food stored up for the zombie apocalypse, and uh, you realize that, you know, you go in there and it's all expired, right, or it goes bad. You've got you've to turn that because it perishes. But, folks, the inheritance we have, it will never perish. It will be eternally good. We don't have to worry about it going bad. It will never spoil. It's eternally pure. We live in a world that... that Everything gets corrupted. Have you ever planned a vacation and, uh, you know, in your mind's eye, you know, that's the best because it, it's, it's perfect in your imagination where you're going to go, like maybe to Disneyland or something like that. And, you know, you think, oh, this will be so great. And then you get there and you realize not so much, right? Um, you know, long lines, crowds, um, your favorite ride doesn't work, you know, all of these things. Um, it, we live in a world where everything is tainted. Nothing is perfect. But our inheritance, it will never spoil. It's going to be eternally pure. There's nothing that's going to taint it. When we get there, it'll be perfect. It'll be perfect. And it'll never fade. How about your favorite jeans? You ever, you ever have your favorite pair of jeans and you wear them for a while and they begin to fade and get holes in them and it's a bummer? Our inheritance in heaven will be eternally new, eternally new. It's never going to fade, and it's kept in heaven for you. It's not stored away in some locker somewhere where, where, somebody, where somebody can take it or it may, may perish, but it's kept in heaven. God is keeping it for us. And folks, to a persecuted church, that is great hope. In this life, we may lose everything that we have. We know that we, we have to hold on loosely to the things of this world because they are fleeting. They could be taken away in an instant. How about that family with a fire? I know when my parents went through that, you know, they were only, only able to get a few things out. And when they came back to their home, there was nothing but ash. I mean, nothing left. It had melted everything away. And it just makes you realize how it could go up, be gone like that. Folks, our real home, our real our our real possessions, they are kept safe for us. This world is not our home. If the world comes against us and says, you better be silent and not speak for Christ or you'll lose everything, we say, folks, we don't have anything to begin with. All our stuff you can't touch. It's in heaven for us. That's great hope for persecuted church because let me tell you, folks, you read about what the Christians went through in the first century. Being a Christian was not an easy thing for a period of time inheritance. So that's great. That's great for, you know, the distant future someday when we're in heaven. But what about now? 
What about now, right? What about now as we go through the trials and tribulations of life? Well, Peter addresses that. He says, who are, this is over in um, verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power into the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed. So he says there, Peter says, shielded, shielded. Does anybody, we have any um, Star Trek fans in here? Anybody want to admit that? Okay. I don't like the new stuff, but I used to look, watch uh, Star Trek, The Next Generation, John Luke Picard. It was awesome. It was awesome. But you know, the, you, had the, uh, you had the Enterprise, and it had the, uh, what, I, don't what they, I don't know what they called it, but it was the, the shield, right? And what was it? Somebody said something. But anyways, the, uh, I, don't remember, I don't know if there was a particular name for the shield, but you'd, you'd bring the shield up, right? And the, the, uh, maybe the enemy would fire its stuff at them, and they would just bounce off because they had this invisible shield there, right? Folks, as we're going through difficult times, it should give us confidence that we're shielded. Now, sometimes it doesn't look like we're shielded, right? Sometimes it looks like the, you know, the uh, enemy's weapons, they, they get through pretty good. But he says here that we are shielded through faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So sometimes we don't see the shield, but by faith we know that God is shielding us. We know that God is shielding us, and we are shielded by God's power. So we are shielded through faith, we are shielded by God's power. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 8. Again, Paul seems to expound upon these things since he was so, such a prolific writer. We're so grateful for that. Romans 8, 28 through 39. What is Peter saying there? By faith we are shielded by God's power. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, 28 through 39. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. Okay? So in other words, as Peter has said, we are the, we are the chosen ones. God has chosen us. He has intervened to redeem us. We are part of His plan. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is He that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Seems kind of, you know, it, that, it's a hard concept for us, right? That we are in danger, and oftentimes bad things happen to us, and yet... In all things, we are more than conquerors. We are super conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, we are able, able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, even if death 
comes, we, it will not separate us from God's love. God's plan is going to go forward. We are shielded by God's power because we cannot be separated from God. He is going to accomplish His plan in our lives. And then when, we are, when He is done with us, He's going to take us on to glory. Nothing can take that away. Satan's not going to be able to come and take it away. Nothing can separate us if we believe and keep trusting the Lord and keep being putting ourselves in the place of being fit for His service, ready to be used by Him in this life. We must not shrink back. We must not, be, not fear and be intimidated. We must go forward in God's love, realizing that He is shielding us. He will keep us safe. You remember in Acts, you remember, um, I believe it was the Apostle Paul, remember he's out there talking and man, he created all kinds of problems and at one point they just stoned him to death, right? And it's like, and then he gets up and goes back in the city. That's, see, God's going to shield us and protect us for His use. That's what we're here for. And then when He's done, folks, we can trust He's going to take us on to be with Him. So we are shielded by God's power, by faith. Just like that enterprise can go into that dangerous place because it has a shield around, maybe invisible, but let me tell you, when those things strike, God is able to deal with those things. We are shielded by faith. We are shielded by God's power. And then he says, the salvation that is ready to be revealed. Until the the coming of the salvation is ready to be revealed the last time in verse 5. The coming salvation. Again, it is this confidence that God is going to maintain, He's going to be the author and perfecter of our faith. He's going to bring us to the end. This coming salvation, Peter says that it's ready to be revealed. The work is finished. We're just waiting for the big reveal, right? We know that, that God is, is waiting to, to bring all of this to completion. He is ready to come and reveal the, the, the finished work of His salvation, right? It is the finished work on the cross, and yet we are waiting for His return. The last time, all of time is moving to this event. There's nothing that's going to thwart it, right? We may be moving to events like Satan having a great amount of power and authority to wreak havoc on the church, but ultimately what we're moving to is God's great salvation that will be revealed. Already ready for for us, ready to be revealed Peter says in this, we greatly rejoice. So what Peter is saying, even though we struggle, we are, we are looking forward to what is coming. And now what he says about suffering, though for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, look at these words he uses. Now, he's saying, yes, I'm talking to you about what's going to happen in the future, But listen, I realize that right now your present state is suffering. For a little while, it's short-term. Had to, that's a necessary reality, be distressed or grieved. The idea of that word there is is, uh, to suffer, it says suffer grief and is, is grief or grieved or distress in various kinds of trials. Now, the words there that, that Peter uses, he, he purposefully makes them pretty general. So he's not necessarily talking about anything specific. He's talking about all the trials that we as Christians face. 
It's the Christian life. Folks, Jesus promised us that we were going to have trouble. If we follow Him, we're going to have trouble. And so now for this present time, for a short time, it's necessary that we be distressed and have grief and all kinds of trials in this Christian life, in this world which we live, which is hostile. It's necessary, this suffering. Why would God put us through this? Peter says the purpose of suffering is to test our faith. Suffering refines our faith and shows whether it's genuine. God, why, do you have to, why are you allowing these things to happen? God says back, well, it's necessary. It's necessary for you to be put to the fire to test the quality of your faith. Your faith must be proved genuine and your faith must be strengthened. This is the purpose of it. So whatever we have to, trials and tribulations, whatever we have to suffer, it has purpose. God is allowing it for a purpose. Satan's not winning. He may may think he's winning. Satan's not winning. God is simply using all of these things, all of the difficulties of life for our refinement so that it will bring, bring praise, glory, and honor. Genuine faith that perseveres through trials will result in praise, glory, and honor when we see Jesus. And folks, this is the reality. No matter what we go through, what we long for is the day when we see Jesus Christ face to face and He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Why is this important? Because the world is going to hate Christians. But we have to long for the day when we see Jesus Christ and it will all be worth it. Genuine faith, Peter says, genuine faith, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Genuine faith loves Jesus whom we have not seen. Do you love Jesus this morning? Do you love Jesus this morning? That, we have to ask ourselves that, that question, right? We haven't seen Him. We haven't seen Him. Do we love Him? Do we love Him enough to suffer for Him? Do we love Him enough to declare His praise and bear His name even in the midst of hardship? Do we love Him? Genuine faith believes in Jesus whom we do not see. We love Him and we believe in Him. Do we believe His words? Do we believe what God's Word says? Folks, that's what the world is going to be asking the world, the world is going a completely different direction. And they don't like anyone who doesn't want to go their direction. And that they're asking is, do we really believe the things that we say we believe? And we're going to find out, the world's going to find out the answer. Genuine faith also brings inexpressible and glorious joy, folks. We love Jesus, we believe in Jesus, and even if we suffer for Him, we have an expressible and glorious joy. There's something that is deep-seated within us that brings us great joy, knowing that we are accomplishing, God is accomplishing something great. Peter says, for the goal of our faith, we are receiving, which is a present tense, okay? Now, that's that's absolutely critical in this particular passage. He's not saying that we have received or we're going to receive, he says we are receiving the salvation of our souls, the new birth, the trials, death, resurrection, and our inheritance are all part of our salvation. So when you think about it, folks, realize that you are in one stage of your salvation, right? Jesus Christ has brought us, has made it possible for us to be brought from death to life and a new birth. 
We are going through a period of trial which tests our faith. Someday we will die unless we are here when Christ comes back. There will be a resurrection and an inheritance. We will finally spend eternity with, with Him. This is all part of salvation. What Peter wants the church to know is that it's all what they are suffering, what they're going through is all part of the plan. It's all part of the plan. And we rejoice. We rejoice because even as we're going, if we're in the trial portion, the trials and tribulations and hardships, we are still, it is part of us receiving our ultimate goal, which is our salvation. It is part of the plan. The church is being refined. The bride of Christ is being purified for the coming of the bridegroom. So we rejoice in all of these things.